welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Those of us upstairs in big church, we want to open up our Bibles to two different places. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to be in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. And then we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. So those are the two places in the Bible we're going to be. This is the second part of a sermon series here on the family. And what I'm about to do in this message today is I'm going to make a connection between your family life at home and your church worship family and your church experience here. Because I believe they're completely intertwined. Do you know, you think about what do we have control over? And there's very little that we have control over at all. But there's two areas in our life that I believe we can have a maximum influence. One especially. And that is starts with your home. Now you might not have 100% influence at your home, but you should be like at the 97, 98, 99% uh, influence at your home. We want to make our home life, we want to make our homes uh, very... Um, sense of peace and tranquility in our home. And it's not to be one to be a war zone. Your home life should be one that actually prepares your children, your grandchildren, whoever visits, and prepares you for wherever you go. It should be a place of peace. It should not be one of fighting. You should not have screaming and hollering and yelling going on at your house. That is not God's plan for your home. And you should have great influence. If you, if you pay the bills and you own the house and you're, you're paying for everything, you should have maximum influence at your home life that you live at. It shouldn't be one of chaos at your house. And the second area that you should have great influence is, and that's in your church. You should, uh, you should know your place. You should come in a sense of expectation for God to move. It shouldn't be one of war and fighting. Church life is all about Jesus, and it's all about serving God. Now, those are two areas in your life where you should know your place. It's your house and it's your church. Now, everywhere else in life, school, work, the world, wherever you go, who knows what happens out there? And we have very little influence in many ways on that. But what we can influence, we should actually have a maximum influence in those two areas. Our home, definitely, and then our church with, uh, with where we're at today. So we're going to see here in the Bible where it talks about these two. Um, our house, I try to create, um, a, uh, we play outside a lot and, uh, the, the, with the little ones. And the way, the secret to get people to come to your house is you put chairs in your front yard. I've learned if you have chairs, children will go sit in a chair. Like people just love chairs because then they can sit down and relax and then you start serving Capri Suns and Juicy Juices. And then once they start, the food starts showing up, people will just start go, go, coming. And in our, in our neighborhood, we have unchurched people in our neighborhood. And there's one little girl that lives two houses down from our house. And she actually came to our church's VBS, first time ever. And it was a huge breakthrough. And she lives at home with her mother and her grandmother. And I've never once seen a man at this house. I barely see mama and grandma at the house, but I have seen them there, and uh, she's outside, and she pretty much raises herself. The girl's like eight years old in third grade, and 
uh, this past week, somehow the issue of family came up. I can't remember. Uh, this is just three days ago. And we were talking about family. And I said, well, I said, well, when you go home, you need to tell your dad that. I knew, I, I kind of says, I've never seen, never seen her dad, but I made a mention about her father. And she says, well, she says, well, I, I, don't, I don't know my dad. I say, well, do you, do, you ever, uh, do you ever see him or talk to him? He says, no, I never, never see him or I talk to him. And I said, ever? You never, never talk to your dad at all? And she said, no, I don't, I don't know my dad. And then she said, I kind of looked to her surprised. Well, I somewhat was suspicious of this, but it's sad. And this is a little girl, child. I said, well, I'm sorry. And then she said, oh, it's no big deal. And I thought, once she said that, I thought, how sad, sweet girl. You don't realize what you just said when you said it's no big deal. Because I, I said, I didn't tell her this, but I was thinking, he says, it's actually the biggest deal in your life, what you just said. Because the Bible teaches us our most important relationship is first with our Heavenly Father. And God is our Father. And our second most important relationship with our, with our earthly Father. You want to have your, your our fathers make a massive influence on children's lives because that's how you learn to relate to your Heavenly Father. And this young girl didn't understand. Obviously, she didn't have that apparently opportunity in her life. And she made that statement, it's no big deal. And I'm afraid that statement, it's no big deal, is somehow maybe how we approach church life. We'll think, well, you haven't been in a month or a few weeks, and you don't go to this, and you don't go to that, and it's no big deal. You can miss a Sunday here or there, miss a three months, see you again in Christmas time, and you just write it off as if it's not, it's not important at all. And we're about to see in our Bible, that is a, a lie from the devil, that he wants to us to believe the lie that worship, corporate worship, is no big deal. And here in our Bible, it's about to show us that actually your relationship with God the Father, your relationship with your uh, home life, and your relationship in your church life are all interconnected. Every single one of them is interconnected because they're all built upon one another. And even when we come in here on Sundays and we come and worship the Lord and we sing these songs and we hear this message, if you've been in a home life that has been treacherous all week, in many ways, it's going to be hard to even focus, to be thinking about worship in the Lord and what God has said to you because all you can think about is great. I've got to go home and deal with all of these problems and all of these issues. And our goal of this message is to make sure that we don't walk away or we don't begin thinking like that young lady where church is no big deal. Jesus, we looked at last Sunday, He established the family. That was the first institution He established in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. The third institution, the second one was government. We're not going to talk about that. The third one was, or it was the church. And that was in Matthew chapter 16. He, Jesus established a church and He's chosen to work through the church today. Remember, a church is not a building. A church is a body of Bible-believing believers in Christ. People who believe the Word of God. That's what makes up the church. And we're going to see that our attitude towards church 
greatly influences us and our attitude towards our family in all areas of our life. So we're going to start here in the book of Ephesians. So you have your Bible here. Ephesians chapter 2. We're in verse 17. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away. So who's the he? We're talking about Jesus Christ here. He comes and he proclaims good news. That's the gospel. That's the message of how to get saved. To those of you who are far away and a peace to those who are near. That means if you're far from God, they would equate that back in Bible times as Gentiles. Or if you're near to God, that would be Jews back in Bible times. So whether today we're far or near, maybe you've, been, you've felt you are far from God, you're outside of God's will, or you are near God, wherever you're at, far or near, the message is peace through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access to one Spirit, to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That means we're no longer just foreigners and strangers. The Bible's teaching us we're actually, our citizenship is in heaven. That's what happens when we get saved. A lot of times we think, we frequently view through the lens, we think of ourselves as Americans. And we compare ourselves to maybe other countries, and you see world statistics. And we really, as you develop in Christ, you have to break away from that type thinking. You realize your citizenship is in heaven. It's actually, heaven is what we uh, uh, pass... When we, when we die and we stand before the Lord, we are no longer American citizens. All what matters, our citizenship, is that of, of, of the kingdom of God, of heaven, being saved by Jesus Christ. And it says here that we become members of God's household. And that word member means, that, that would be a word of accountability. So our accountability is before the Lord. Also, we're accountable, the Bible teaches us, in a church context, so you can actually become a member of a church and you become accountable in church. Said this is where I worship at. This is where my family attends. This is where I serve. This is where I give. This is where I invite people to. And you, you, you're part of that, part of that body. Every, so we're part. Obviously, our citizenship is in heaven. But then we have a local membership while here on earth. And for that, for us, that's Broadway Baptist Church. It says here we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. That means, that means our foundation is not on other issues. It's easy in a church. We, we, many times, people in church life, they always focus on the wrong thing. Your foundation is actually that on Christ Jesus. We don't want to focus on tertiary issues, such as worship styles, uh, what people dress and act like at church, uh, uh, the friendliness of the people, um, location of the building, those might be important, they might not, but that's not the main purpose of church. Main purpose is this foundation that's built on the Word of God. You want to belong to a church that teaches and preaches the Bible. Because you want to be a part of a church that sees people saved, that sees people baptized, that sees... People being led to Jesus. If you invite a friend here, they're going to learn about Jesus. And it goes on to say here, in, this, in Him, that's Jesus, the whole building being put together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. That means 
in a context of a church, we are growing closer to Christ. That means you're part of your citizenship in heaven, you're part of your church membership on earth, they work together, and you're growing closer to the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Meaning, these building terms are used, meaning Jesus is established a local church so that it builds up your faith in the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what this entire passage talks about, being a member, being part of a community of believers. And that community is part of what we would call our church family. And here's an interesting thing about our fam- church family. Your attitude towards church and what you have, the way you talk about church actually has a massive impact on other people. Let me illustrate this. We'll tell you about my mom and dad. I grew up in a home in Alabama with my parents. They are extremely mild and meek, especially my dad. Like, he is the most non-judgmental man you will ever meet. In fact, you'll never even be able to pin him down on what he believes. Like, you don't know. You're like, what does this man even believe? He's the most neutral man, Switzerland, you've ever seen. On any issue, whatever the issue is, he can truly be down the middle on an issue. So, so I grew up in that type. So, like, when we would go to church, we didn't get in the car with my parents and start evaluating, well, the preacher didn't, he did this, and I didn't like that song, and they, that, that person was rude to me. Like, there was none of that. Like, at all. We didn't, we didn't evaluate. There was no evaluation of church whatsoever. Ever. Like, nobody had any opinions at all. Like, if my dad was here, and y'all have met Danny, and he's BBS every year, uh, this is what he would be like if he was here. Say right in this door, right? I'll pick some, I'm going to pick something controversial. A Palestinian walked in right now, whatever the hot issue is. Dad would be like, well, you know, that's what he believes if he, he's fighting for his country. Israeli walks in carrying an Israeli flag. He says, well, you know, they want their homeland too. And it was, it's in the book of Genesis chapter 12. And that's what Danny would sit there and be like, well, that's just how they are. An alien, let's just say an alien from outer space came in through our church. says, well, you know, they're looking for a place too to be a belong. And you know, I'm sure, you know, they're, they're just looking to fit in. And you're like, dad, that, that's not even a human. Bigfoot walks in our church, like the real Bigfoot. He comes in, that door right there. My dad would be like, you know, some people believe in Bigfoot, and you know, you just never know. That's just how people are. They believe in this stuff. I mean, there's just no issue. He's just, a, just this very meek and mild. There's no judgment whatsoever on whatever the issue is. So I grew up in that environment. So when we would go to church, there wasn't like this uh, you know, the preacher said this, and he was off on that, and the song was flat. That wasn't, our, that, wasn't, that wasn't me growing up. Well, I got a job when I was in college, and I worked at the church. I want to tell you what my job was. I cleaned the pews. It was a larger church. And I don't know if y'all know this, but when people go to church, they'll write on bulletins, they scribble and draw pictures, and they put it in the pew. They bring Starbucks coffee, they bring a candy wrapper, and they put... All sorts of items in a few. So I would go around with a trash bag. It'd take like two hours. And you just go through and you pull trash out of the pews and you put it in the garbage can. So, and we do this here at church. Once a week I had to do this at church. It took about two hours. I actually used it as a prayer time because every time I would sit on a seat, I would pray for that next Sunday who's going to worship in that seat. I actually used a great spiritual time. 
Well, I was like 19 years old. I was a college student, and I cleaned the pews at my local church. And I grew up in a very non-judgmental home, just average, boring, nothing exciting at our house. Nobody ever raised their voice. Nobody could even, don't even know what people believe there. It's just right down the middle. Well, one day at our church, or I was at work at the church, there was a note, and I was cleaning the pews, and there was a note that was written to the pastor. <clears throat> so, and it was a critical note, and it was anonymous. And I found, it's like somebody wrote the note. They wrote the note, and they put it in the pew, and they were going to put it in the offering plate, but they forgot and they left it in the pew, and then they left it. So this was from that last Sunday. They wrote, like, wrote their thoughts and everything on there. So I'm 19 years old. I read it. I, I didn't give it to the man, but what had happened, our former pastor, pastor I grew up with, he had retired like a year, year and a half before. He'd been there 20-something years. And he was what I would call an old-school preacher. His name was Dr. Carter. Dr. Carter, have you ever heard the phrase, you, he preaches the paint off the walls? This man would stand in the pulpit and scream at the top of his lungs every Sunday. And you, he would just, I mean, it would, if he was preaching a message on the family, he would end up talking about hell. Every single sermon ended up on hell. In fact, while he was preaching, all he did was this over and over again. That was Dr. Carter. How many times is he going to slap the pulpit and bang on the podium with his big wedding band? And he would, I, I think he actually put metal on the podium so it would even make a louder sound every time he would hit it so you could hear it. I mean, it was, you would sit there in church like this the whole time, scared to death that you're lost. This was the church I grew up in. I mean, it was, it was one of these old school he was an old-timey style preacher. You would never, ever get up and go to the restroom. I mean, you'd be scared death. The man call you out and call you down the aisle. I mean, it was just that intense, Dr. Carter. I mean, pouring sweat, had handkerchiefs like this. I mean, it's just like him and Joyful Souls. Remember Joyful Souls a few months ago? They would just fit right in. I mean, just that's how he was. And every sermon was on hell. Well, we got a new preacher when I was like changing from high school to college. And my new pastor was different than my, my pastor growing up. My new pastor, he was more of a teacher. Now, I learned a lot from him. He did not scream at the top of his lungs, and the paint stayed on the wall. And we didn't have to repaint the church over and over again. And you could actually like take notes and listen to the sermon. And you, I mean, it was just a different style. But you still learn. He still preached the Bible. I mean, he's still a great Bible teacher. And I liked him. In fact, I learned a ton because there were sermons on different topics other than what I had to know or learned everything about hell. Uh, there was to learn about it. And, <clears throat> but some people who'd been at that church, apparently, because I wasn't aware of this, they realized, you know what, this new guy's different. So they wrote a note to the new pastor, and I found it. And it said, I'm not going to say his name, it said, new pastor, he'd been there about a year, year and a half at this point, you're not preaching the gospel because you don't talk about hell. Y'all know a lot of preachers are actually evaluated on how many times they say the word hell in a sermon. I mean, if a sermon's not about, you haven't heard a sermon, if it's not, it doesn't talk about hell. So this new guy, he didn't talk about hell every single time, he might have only talked about it once a month. But unlike the other guy, every single message was on this topic. And 
this was very critical of him talking about how he's not a preacher, he's a teacher. That's what it said in the note. And he's not screaming and raising his voice and bringing the Holy Spirit, as this person said, to the worship service. Well, I grew up in a home. My parents, if they thought that way about the pastor, they would never tell me. I would have never known that. Like, they didn't, they weren't evaluate. they're not evaluators. Like, we wouldn't get in the car and go, man, that was a boring sermon. That's just not how my parents were. So I'm, I'm reading this note as a 19-year-old. And this is the first time I've really seen my pastor criticized from an anonymous note. Well, I threw it away. I didn't give it to the man. I thought it might hurt his, hurt his, his feelings with that. But I want to tell you what that did to me. Next Sunday, I go to church. And I sat there in the, in the service. And I was waiting to hear the word hell. <laughs> and he didn't say it. And I was thinking, you know what? He's not slapping his Bible. He's not screaming. He's not raising his voice. He's not, you know, calling people out, going to the restroom in the middle of the service and dragging them down the aisle to get saved. It was just a... And all of a sudden, I began to view him in a wrong way. And this went on. I actually had to repent of this. It was on for about five or six weeks. Because I had heard, or in my case, read critical words about my pastor, and I started viewing him through the lens. The truth is, the man was teaching the Bible phenomenally. I mean, I learned a great amount. In many ways, I'm, I learned more about the Lord and personal discipleship and growth from the Bible teacher than from the preacher who preached on hell every single Sunday. But because I heard or read something critical It actually corrupted my young mind for a time being. And I share this because if you and I go home and we're with our family and we start speaking negatively around our friends, our children, our grandkids about church life, do you know what happens to them? They go to church and they remember what you say and they start viewing it through that lens. That's why it is so important for us that we guard any conversation we have about church or songs or whatever activities, personal opinions about pastor, because it can actually negatively influence other people's worship when they come. I have four children. If I sat at home all week and, and made fun of Beecher about, about this worship service, Now, do you think our four children, when they would come to church, they would think, man, this is going to be an awesome time of worship. They would be thinking about what their dad just said and their mom and what they were talking about. One of the ways we prepare and shape other people is the way we speak about the Lord and about worship and about church life. It is amazing how much influence you can have in that relationship. So what happens? Listen, the way you talk about your worship experience at home is going to have a massive impact on when you actually show up. You know, I was a 19-year-old and I read that. I started, I actually had to repent and say, Lord, I've really, for six, seven weeks, I had such a critical spirit of my pastor as I became some 19-year-old evaluator of his sermons and of the worship experience just because I read a little note. And I think that's what the Bible is 
making that connection there when he talks about being a member of God's family and being a citizen of heaven. Turn in your Bible now. Last section we're going to read here. Exodus chapter 17. I want to tell you a Bible story here that teaches us about why we need one another and why you and your in you and your walk with the Lord, you need to have a church family that you can turn to. I'm going to, before we read, I want to pull out these notes here in your bulletin notes. This is very practical. I believe your closest friends should be in your church home. Your children's closest friends should be in your church home. You should cultivate opportunities for your children and your grandchildren to have friends. And, and, and if they, their friends don't go to church, allow them to bring them to church here. That's why we do these big outreaches like we'll have this afternoon. You want to go through, as you walk through life, you want to go through life with those whom go to your church. My closest friends were in my, were my church when I grew up. Um, practically, too, you should be able to call someone in this church at 3 a.m. for prayer. If you find yourself this week in the middle of the night and you are wrestling with a problem and you are struggling with something and you're worried about something, you should have people in your life, in your Sunday school class, in your youth group that you can pick up your phone. And you know, nowadays we all sleep with the phone next to us. It's our alarm clock too, where you can call and then you say, well, I put it on silent. Well, your watch is going to buzz. Like you'll wake up at 3 a.m. and somebody will get a hold of you and wake you up where... And, and you, where they call you, and they don't need so much you to speak to them because you're asleep. They just need prayer. They just need, hey, Lord, whatever's going on, whatever's causing this anxiety, whatever they're nervous and upset about, Lord, just help them through the night. That is your friend right there, a 3 a.m. friend, that they will bring your burden to the Lord. And not only that, your friends at church are the ones that you should be relying upon to pray for you daily, to pray for your marriage, to pray for your children, and not only that, to pray for your relationship with Christ. Could you imagine missing five or six weeks of church here at Broadway Baptist Church and no one bothers asking where you've been? Hey, I've missed you. Hey, I haven't seen you lately in class. haven't seen you in your pew. That would be sad. That's what it means to be a member of God's family. There's accountability. But many of you say, well, Pastor, I don't know anybody. I'm shy. If you don't have friends at church, that's actually on you, not on them. Because I want to, I've learned, if you show up, now, if you show up for this worship service at 11.14, and you sit on the back pew, and the moment this service is over, the moment Beecher starts to... At the final song, you bolt out that door so fast and you hit that and you're flying down Harrodsburg Road. And you do that six, six months in a row, you show up at 1114 and you leave right away, you will not know anybody in this church. No one will, they'll, all you'll be known is that's the runaway. They're really fast. There they go. And there they speed off to. But if you get here, you get here early, you walk around, you speak to people, you go to the special events. You participate on Wednesdays and in Sunday school. I promise you, you will start to meet people. And then when you, here's how you get somebody to start praying for you. 
When you're, in a, when you're in a classroom setting or prayer meeting and someone raises their hand and they request prayer for someone, after the class you go up to them and say, hey, I will pray for your aunt that has cancer. What's her name? I want to get her name and address. And then a week later you follow up with them, say, hey, I wrote them a note, just want to check on them, how are they doing? All of a sudden, they're going to become your friend because they know that lady's praying for me. And then they'll start to pray for you. Because all of a sudden, you've developed a prayer partner because they know they, this is somebody who's lifting my burdens, my needs to the Lord. All of us should have people who are like that. A 3 a.m. friend, people who you know who will, are faithfully praying for you and all of your family, and knowing that, you should have friends who you literally walk through life with. And that should be here at Broadway Baptist Church for you and your children. And here's our example of what we call Aaron and Hur. They helped Moses. And by helping Moses, they won the battle. Turn your Bible. Last scripture we're going to look at. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Here's what's happening. Israel has just been led out. All the Hebrew people. They've left Egypt. And they've crossed through the Red Sea. Moses held up his staff. And God parted the seas. They walked right through. The Egyptians followed along. The seas crashed in on them. They all died. And the people moved along. Now they're wandering around in what we call the Sinai Peninsula. This is actually the area just south of current-day Gaza that we're seeing all this bombing. You just go south, you're in Sinai right there. It's, a current, it's an area of Egypt. And this is where they're at. Well, they, they're out there, and they're meeting this, uh, this uh, other people group. Um, this other man named Amalek, and he's going, this is Israel's first battle. They're about to have their first military skirmish, I guess you could say. And here's how they won the battle. So that's where we're going to pick up. So we're in the middle of the desert, and Israel's about to have a battle. And Moses, he's leading the people. And Joshua, he's a military leader. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. So this man named Amalek sees all these Hebrews and he's going to go attack them. He's going to fight. So Moses says, hey, we've got to get ready. This is our very first fight. We're not prepared, but this is how it goes. We've got to get the army together. They just made an army right then. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. So Moses' plan for victory is with this staff. This is the same staff that he took in front of Pharaoh and he threw it down and it became a snake. Then he went and picked up the snake and it became a staff again. The same staff he held out over the Red Sea and it parted. So God has used Moses' staff to do great miracles. So he's going to go, the way they're going to win the military battle, Moses is going to stand on top of a hill and hold the staff up in the air. So it says here, verse 10, Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. So we've got Moses, is, Moses going up on a hill, Joshua's going to fight the battle, but Moses goes and brings two people with him up on the hill. He brought his brother, his name, he's three years older than him, his name is Aaron, and then we have a friend whose name is Hur. He's just a friend of Moses. We don't know really anything else about Hur. All he does is help Moses out right here. And so let's see what happens with these folks. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, 
Amalek prevailed. So obviously, if you're holding up your hand for hour after hour, your arms are going to get tired and they're going to get weaker and weaker. So he's probably starting to take a break. So he puts his arm down, and then Amalek, the Israelites, start to die. They start losing the battle. And you can literally see, while Moses' hands up, Israel wins. Moses' hands down, Amalek wins. So they're up on a hill watching us. Wow, you just do this and that. You can see what's happening on in the battle. So it says here in verse 12, When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put up under him. So they're thinking, you know what, Moses, we've got to have your hands up, so let's put some rocks. Let's build a little rock pile, and we'll just prop you up with your hands straight up in the air. So they prop him up on the and they took a stone and put it up under him. And he sat down. So they also built him a chair. So this looks really weird up on the hill. He's sitting on a rock chair and a rock for a thing. He's just sitting there like this, looking like the eternal touchdown. We're going to win the game. Uh, and he, he's, he's there. And then it says, then, and probably still, if you're giving the eternal touchdown like this, still after several hours, your arms are still getting tired. So Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. Aaron went and held one hand. Her went and propped up the other hand, and they're holding his arms in the air. And it says, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. I want to tell you about this battle. God gave this victory to Moses and Joshua. And the reason why is to show that Moses, you had to show that the victory belonged to the Lord. But something happened. I don't want us to miss this in the story. It says Moses went on up the mountain or on the hilltop and he was going to hold his hands and his staff up in the air. But he brought two people with him. He went, when he walked up there, he took Aaron and her with him up on the hilltop because he knew he would need their help. A lot of us, one of the reasons we are getting defeated and we're losing life's battles so many times in our life is because we're going up the hilltop and we're going up the mountain alone. And I tell you, you need to be bringing an Aaron and a her to with you to hold your hands up because you can't do it. Moses would have lost that battle. Joshua would have been killed and Israel would have been wiped out if Aaron and her hadn't have been right there holding that arm up in the air all day long. And I want to tell you, for us, one of the reasons some of us struggle spiritually is because we're, not, we're, trying, to do, we're trying to do things solo. We're not bringing along other brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are helping us hold our hands, going up on the mountain, praying for us, helping walk through life's battles. This is, just, this is the very first battle for the Hebrew people. And it took Aaron and her holding his arms. And we all need Aaron and hers in our life to help us through. And when you don't have a church family, Aaron was his brother. Is your bro- you have a brother or sister that loves the Lord? Do you have a family member that's li- daily supporting you, helping you, praying for you? Do you have a her, just some mystery friend out of nowhere, say a her's there to help, 
She's just there to help. Nothing special about her. He's just a regular guy. Just there. He's just an arm holder. That's all he is. I just come to church. I just hold the man's arm. That's all I do. I mean, nobody else knows anything about him. And nothing special about him. But he played a key part in the victory for Moses and Joshua right here. And I believe this message here. There is a connection between our home life. We want to have errands who are praying for us. And our church life. Our church life is people like her who's also praying for us and holding our, holding our hands up. Your church life and your home life are interconnected. You can't go off to your house and live in war in Gaza and then come in here and it's like, this is great. Worship is wonderful. Not at all. If, you, if your house is a battleground, you're not going to be prepared to hear a message from the Lord. God is wanting to bring Aaron and hers in all of our life with a purpose to help us on the hilltop. And this afternoon, if you do not have an Aaron and a her in your life, you need to, your prayer needs to be, says, God, bring me Christian friends. Bring me people who that can, I can call at 3 a.m. Bring people into my life that can walk through these battles and challenges and family issues and struggles, daily struggles that we're going to all deal with. Moses knew he needed help when he walked up that mountain. The moment he started going up that hill, he didn't get up there and go, oh, I forgot some people. Hey, y'all come on up. My arms are getting tired. He already knew, without my arms, without my support, I'm not going to be able to make it. He came prepared. And many of us were just walking through life, folks, unprepared. And we're wondering, why am I losing? Why am I not seeing spiritual victory? Why am I not seeing prayers answered? Why am I struggling so much? Because you don't have Aaron and her holding you up. You look at your life and say, God, my home life needs to be one of peace. It needs to be one of of just uh, preparing for worship. It needs to be one that's inviting and enticing and encouraging other people to worship the Lord. And then you get to church and your attitude, you see everything through a different lens. And for some of us, practically, we need to be asking the Lord, God, bring Christian friends in my life. And not only that, help me be a Christian friend, a brother or sister in the Lord to someone else who needs their arm held up. This applies to every single one of us. We are members of God's household. And that means you have a responsibility, not to your own home, but to one another in a church community. God created us not to sit on the back pew and bolt out of church as fast as we can without ever speaking to a single soul. It's to actually know one another. That's why Jesus says, love one another. You cannot love one another if you don't even know who they are. Say, I don't even know their name. Who are these people? Well, that's on you. We ask the Lord this afternoon, says, God, help me see the total importance of what it means to be a part, an active part of a body of believers. The Bible says, going back to that Ephesians passage, it says that is when we actually grow spiritually. 
You want to know the Lord? You want to increase in your faith? It's part of Christian community and your church family saying, this is where I belong. Why don't we all stand up together? Beecher, why don't you come down forward? We're going to have our invitation. Many of you here are not a member of our church. You need to be a, be a member of Broadway Baptist Church. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? I stand down front, and you walk this aisle, and you say, I want to be a part of this church family. Now, be a part of our church family. You have to be baptized. And we don't baptize you today. You get baptized. We'll schedule it later on. But believers are to trust in Christ as their Savior. Then they follow in believers' baptism. Now, if you were baptized at another church, then you transfer your membership to our church. But you want to be able to walk out of this place And this week, when you go out, wherever you go, and someone says, what church are you a part of? Where do you worship? You want to say, my church is Broadway Baptist Church, and you invite them to be a part of it. Say, this is my church home. Daniel Oz is my pastor. And you can be a a part of this as well. So this is our time we respond to God. God. Beach is going to lead us in a song with our band. I stand on front. You come take my hand and make your decision. All right, Beach.